welcome back everybody to another edition of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, at the risk, Danny, of inviting everyone to turn off the podcast immediately upon listening, yesterday's uh, events in, in Houston, Texas have me wondering from a fan perspective, have you ever experienced anything uh, that would rate on the same level of devastating loss in Husky football as what the Mariners experienced yesterday? Probably the closest, the closest I've felt to how I, how I felt yesterday um, was when Washington missed the field goal at Oregon. Is that 2018? Mm -hmm. The game that they end up losing in overtime and they missed a field goal at the end of regulation. And maybe there's some parallels because I was watching both those games. I watched by myself so when when you're watching and you're you're alone, there's a different level of I tend to be very voluble and excited when I'm by myself. And I but I don't I don't throw fits when they lose when I'm by myself. Like I'm more liable to scream in frustration and shout angrily if I'm in a group than if I'm than if I'm by myself. So maybe that's sort of because I'm a performative jackass. Uh, that I, I need an audience to do that. So my reaction in both the same, which was just to sit there and just sort of like try and not move and to see if that lessens the pain or the shock of what I just witnessed. Like where you, it's it's this level of disbelief, but knowing that like, oh my God, that just happened. Um, the the okay. loss to Oregon is a little different though because it was a, a, the game was tied right it was still going on there was still hope which yesterday was just gone. <laughs> How quickly did you turn the TV off? I no, I sat and watched it for a little bit. Oh, you saw, sat in it. You yeah, sat in it. I did. I sat in the poopy diaper. Um, I just <laughs> sat there in the poopy diaper. Uh, waited for them. I think the point where I turned it off was where they found the crying kid and showed how happy he was. <sighs> like they, they kept they kept going to the little crying kid. I and 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 <laughs> two things that I thought. The first one is that like. No, you were the little crying kid, and you deserved to suffer because that's how my dad always approached. It. I was I was a kid who cried when my team lost. Like I and I did that. God, I I was still doing that when I was like eleven and twelve years old. Um, <laughs> and and my dad had zero sympathy for it. He thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. And so like there was part of me that felt that about that kid of like, oh, you shouldn't get rewarded for that behavior. Like you shouldn't get to get happy after you throw a fit. Like you, you, you should learn to take it. You should learn to take it like a man. Um, that's when I turned it off. Uh, yeah, the Oregon loss. That's probably, that's probably as close as it comes. Um, it's definitely, definitely losing to Oregon is, is on that like that pantheon, I hate losing to Oregon, but most of those games aren't close. It's not like, well, we might have won if it wasn't for... No, no, you usually just get the, get the whooping stick laid upside your head. I, as soon as they showed the crying kid for the first time, my first reaction was, stop stop, stop showing the crying kid. Come on. Just, <laughs> like, get the camera off of the kid crying. Oh, really? He doesn't... He's just... He, this is his team. He's here trying to enjoy a baseball game, and you're... you're you know, he, did, he didn't ask for this, right? Oh, but he's but it, crying in public. Like he deserves to have that memorialized, and I feel that shame and stigma should follow him for the rest of his life. But as soon as they showed him, <laughs> as soon as they showed him, I'm like, 
the Astros are going to win this game on a Oh no, did you really? I'm like the, the Astros are going to win this game and they're going to find that kid. I didn't leave the TV on long enough to see it. There was one where I as soon as, as soon as they brought in Robbie Ray, I thought that Jordan Alvarez is going to hit a walk-off home run. This is oh, this, they're they're going to I I, well, I thought before before they got two guys on base. I I thought if if Peña gets on base here, they're winning the game. And then they okay. went and got Robbie Ray and I'm like this is their this is this is it. This is the the night like the nightmare is playing out. Like it's this is how, this is how I foresaw it. And, but still, was, when the ball left the bat, it's it's still disbelief though. I fully felt that Robbie Ray was going to do it. Like I fully like I was fully on board with the service decision. I'm not even going to like I knew you're I knew one, that huh? like okay th- this is a precarious decision. I knew like you're going to take all sorts of crap if this doesn't work. But I'm not going to pretend that I I. I like I was on board, man, and when it got over one, I'm like, "Yeah, let's go!" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure how long after the second pitch left his hand. I'm not sure how long afterward I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and then it just got obliterated. Just like, the most, no doubt. <laughs> what 438 feet? He hit it so hard. <laughs> it just destroyed that ball. <laughs> 117 off the bat, I think. I think I saw in Ryan Divish's story, I think it was like the third hardest hit ball (laughs) in in the postseason in the StatCast era. Just destroyed it. Uh, Would you have rather had that, that just obliteration, or or a Crawford box home run? Like one of those, those... those the those roof scraping barely gets out only in this rinky dink mini golf. Oh, you want the no doubter? Yeah, you do. You don't want the you? no doubter? <laughs> you want it? I'm just like, uh, <laughs> just like, give it to me. The the pain, like in in the Princess Bride, which is probably my favorite movie ever. When he's the, to the pain, <laughs> <laughs> and your eyes, I keep you keep, and I'll tell you why. So every replay that's shown of Jordan Alvarez absolutely obliterating th- this baseball will be imprinted, emblazoned on your irises. <laughs> Good God! I'm so I'm I'm glad that you brought up the the 2018 Oregon game. Because I was trying to think, like, is there an equivalent where it's this crushing loss and there's also, like, a controversial coaching decision? Because the immediate obvious comparison was Russell Wilson at, at the one-yard line in the Super yes. Bowl. Yes. Um, and I think that Oregon game is, like, might be the only one that really checks that box because they settled for a 37-yard field goal when they still Correct. could have easily run one or two more plays to get closer. Um, and Chris Peterson rightfully took a lot of criticism for that. So that, I think... That one might be the that might be the answer. I don't mean look, the major league baseball postseason is so unique. Like I don't know that that there's there's ever been a game that you can quite put on that same pedestal where you're in a divisional series against the most hated team in the in the majors and you're there for the first time in twenty one years and you jump their ace Hall of Famer, likely Just Cy Young winner him and chase him and and you still blow it. Um Yeah, boy, that's a it's it's right up there with uh, with David Justice in 2000. I'd still put that one number one most crushing for the Mariners just because. That's Justice off of Arthur Rhodes, right? I believe it was Arthur Rhodes, yeah. Um, Arthur Rhodes, underrated, underrated like goat. Like He threw up a couple of the most pivotal home runs, and people in Seattle don't hate him. Um, 
I don't know if it's because Arthur is a fairly cool dude or whatever, but yeah, he he gave up a couple because he gives up the home run to Soriano in Game Five in the ALCS in two thousand one as well. Oh, I see. I, to your point, I did not remember that he was either of those guys. I yeah. just remember the homers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he gave it. He, <laughs> he authored gonna, both of them. People are going to remember Robbie Ray though. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> <laughs> They will. Oh, oh. Uh, I was telling you before this started. So I live in a building in New York. Like there are there are doormen, and I I know most of them because I talk a lot. Uh, and you know it's a bad loss. They all know I'm a Mariners fan, and you know it's a bad loss when none of them even give you any good natured crap. Like last night, it was like <laughs> oh tough one. This morning, Saul, who's the big, he's a Mets fan, and he's a, he, he knows a ton about baseball. And she just goes, Danny tough one just tough one <laughs> you're like yeah god so it's not like you know it was an absolute stomach punch of a game when, when all you're getting is sympathy i think if i told you um that washington was going to lose at arizona state on saturday yeah I, I would have guessed that that would have been like the foremost source of your your sports fan rage when we sat down to record our next episode did did last night wipe that out or is that is that still lingering for you it's it's still ling- like I, i'm mad about the game but there's a weird so there's a we're in a weird spot as a as washington's program because it's very limited who you can get really mad at this about Right? Mm-hmm. Like when Nick Holt was coaching the defense and they were hemorrhaging points and giving up, I think they gave up 50 points three times that year, if you include the bowl game. Like it was very clear who you could be furious at. You could be furious at Holt and you could be furious at Sarkeesian for continuing to employ Holt. Right? Like you could, you could just vent all of like this. And it was. It was, it was a terrible decision. This is a little bit different. Like can you, you can't be mad at the players. Like you can't, I, I really, and I, I pretty firmly hold that as part of my core tenet of, of college fandom. Like you, you can't be mad at the players. Um, you can wish that different players played or that there was a higher caliber of player there, but, but really getting mad at a player the way you do with a pro is, it's inappropriate. How mad can you be at the coaches? Because... They didn't recruit most of the players. They're putting in a new system. So there's there's a little bit of this is a reflection of where things are at more than I need heads on a pike or give me my pint of blood in, in retribution. So there's a certain amount of you're left with just kind of self-loathing and, oh, we're not where I hoped we were. We're not where it looked like we were. It's not... This defense has some really deep rooted problems and you're not you're still in the diagnosing stage. (laughs) (laughs) Your patient has come into the has come into the emergency room. There are there's blood coming from the ears, which is clearly a very, very bad sign. But we're not sure exactly what happened. Was it blunt force trauma? Is there some sort of underlying medical condition that hasn't been diagnosed yet? We just know we're in a really, really bad way. <laughs> so there's a certain amount of like, oh my god, I, I didn't, I didn't realize it was this bad. Like, I don't know if Johnny's going to survive. How much do you, you know, no coach, no player is ever going to like lean super hard on injuries as an excuse. Um. 
Kalen DeBoer is is clearly very frustrated with the injury situation, and you know, not frustrated at anybody, obviously, but just right. You can tell he knows this defense is being judged based on what it puts on the field every Saturday. Doesn't matter who's out there. You got eleven guys out there. That's your team. That's what people are watching. That's what goes in the permanent record. And he knows that people are judging this team and judging this defense based off of um, playing a lot of guys who aren't supposed to be on the field, frankly. But but who's who's hurt, right? Like I know I know Turner has been out, and and you're down corners. Like you've got Michelle Powell is is out. We're not sure when he's going to be back. And Perryman w- was out for a bit. Ula Foscio, I think I think would would help in some regards. And it was Latuli Gasanoa. Yeah, was was out this past week, but that seems fairly normal. Christian, am I am I wrong about that? Like, have they have they been? I know it's been in bad spots, but this isn't one of those where I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's just this overwhelming rash of injuries that's cropped up. I think the situation in the defensive backfield is unusual because it's not like okay. you mentioned. Powell is is out and he's still out. Yeah, they got Turner back. Sounds like he would have played a lot if he, if he hadn't been ejected for targeting, and it sounds like he's going to play a lot this weekend. God, that was a garbage call. Um, it's that there's a there's a number of other guys like you mentioned Jordan Perryman. He played every yeah. snap, but yes. does anyone believe he's one hundred percent? Yeah, no, he's clearly not. Um, Elijah Jackson started, and I thought did a pretty good job. Didn't have a pass completed on him. He he couldn't play every snap, and I don't know if that was health wise or or what, but he he came out of that game at one point. It sounds like he should be all right, but you know, that's another thing to monitor. And regardless, he had been we know he had been hurt before that. Um Davon Banks has Yeah, that's the kid with the incredible interception. Yeah, he he's been banged up. I don't know how healthy he is. Um I know like he he had some stuff in camp. I think coming out of camp he wasn't 100%. And then we talked to Alex Cook yesterday. He he said he's healthy, you know, aside from well, you know, it's game it's game 6 who is who is 100% right, which is maybe the, the key takeaway here. But I don't know. I mean, they, they took him off the field at times on Saturday, and I just I kind of feel like he's a guy that doesn't leave the field if he doesn't need to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I just I think they've got a lot of guys out. They've got a handful of guys out, and they got a lot of guys who are playing through stuff. And, like, Kalen DeBoer was pretty upfront about And, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe easier to be transparent about it after a loss because it explains some things, but, I mean, he, he kind of said, like, there were some guys out there who were playing probably more than, like, they, they should have been or, or that the coaching staff would have liked based on where they were at injury-wise. And maybe he was referring to, to Thule, you know, who only played 14 snaps and clearly was on a pitch count. Alumu Ale didn't play. Kual Pejopa mm. is suspended. So they've they their, their depth has been thinned a lot on the D-line, too, which isn't helping. It's all of that stuff's hard. Can can I ask some questions though? Like I, I wondered if this would be a good a good way to do because I do have some questions about what's going on. On not just the, I, I get the injuries, but ZTF is not playing a ton. Mm-hmm. Why is that? You know, I I think they just like Braylon Trice better. Really? I think he, I think that they. I mean, going back to camp, Eric Schmidt, who coaches the the edge rushers. He kind of put him in, in in three different buckets. Like, look, Jeremiah Martin is their best run defender mm-hmm. on the edge, so you're gonna pretty much always want him on the field, or at least most of the time. 
Um, you know, ZTF was their, you know, probably their most explosive pass rusher. I think they feel like Braylon Trice is the most balanced of the two. And, you know, you've seen how good of a, a pass rusher he is. He's got four and a half sacks. Um, they haven't got to the quarterback well the last couple of weeks. No, they haven't. I think he's, you know, I, I think he has put on tape this year performance that has has matched the way that they've talked about him. Um, and then, you know, ZTF, I think, I don't know if it's that they want to see him be better against the run or if there's just, you know, there are just things within their defense that Braylon Trice picked up better. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, 21 snaps against ASU. I think he has one start this year. It's mm-hmm. it's always been Trice other than that. So yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, it's maybe a combination of him, you know, not being the, not being as consistent against the run as, as they would like. And then, you know, Braylon Trice just, just being really good and, and having impressed them, you know, a lot since day one. And it- I always want to be open to the fact that sort of either reputation or what we come to think about a player um, overwhelms like what the coaches are actually seeing. Like I, I remember that very, very clearly with Ozzie and Victor and feeling like, oh, why isn't he on the field? Why is the little skinny white linebacker out there? And it, the reason was is because it, be, be, because that uh, I'm just going to screw up his name now. Uh, ben Burkirvan. I don't know why. Maybe it was too many acronyms. I was like CTF, HBK, like BBK. Like, I don't know what was. Uh, ben Burkirvan was a better player. Like Ben Burkirvan was 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 more instinctive defender. And those. So I always want to be. But when you sit there and watch an utter inability to get to the passer, like, and that's that's really been true for two weeks. I'm like, well, there is a dude there that's done that pretty well, and it doesn't seem like he's playing an awful lot. And maybe, maybe there might be a way to get number fifty-eight on the field somehow, like get get him more involved. So it, it's, and those would would be where I where I would go back to that you're still trying to diagnose and figure out what's going on, of what what are the coaches trying to do? They're trying to make the most out of what's on hand while instituting their system, which is going to be different. Um, and and I I do realize that like hey the defensive backfield not only did they lose a lot of players to the NFL but the 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 health of players is making an impact. It was Arizona State, man. Mm-hmm. Like, well, and it, it, it was Trenton Bourget. Hello, Trenton yeah, Bourget. It was it was Arizona State and a, and a quarterback who had thrown what like eleven passes before the game, who just carved them up. He threw just some carved dimes. them up. He threw he some did. times. It was like man, this guy's hitting everything. He had a great game, but when that when that happens, are you are you more like more likely to say like, "Wow, he's really come in and played really well"? Because I'm like, "Oh, this is just super easy for him." <laughs> like they're not doing anything to make this any 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 harder. Like he's pretty much playing against air right now because these guys are so incompetent. Yeah, I the touchdown he threw. I think they had him third and two from the twelve. It was the play, Sean Toomey Stout, who is a walk-on safety, number 27. Coopville! He was on the field um, and blitzed off the off the edge, and I think got a hit on Bourget. The throw he made on that touchdown pass was like, you know, I don't think it was covered particularly well. I'm sure Washington would watch that and go, uh, yeah, that, that can't happen. That was like, I watched the replay, I don't think I even realized it live, like the day of, but I watched the watching the replay I was like man like that was a great throw like he threw that with anticipation he felt the pressure he threw it to a spot before the guy got there and he had to beat someone to get there and it was just right on the money 
And I'm just like, man, like I, I would not have guessed that a, you know, a former walk-on backup quarterback who's barely even played, like would, would have the, the wherewithal to even try that throw. And, and he got it there and it was a touchdown. So I think, um, the thing with the injuries is this secondary was really unproven, even at 100%, even at full strength, like going into Kent state, I think you would have said that was the big, kind of like the biggest question mark on the team other than, okay, is the offense really going to have this one year turnaround, which they clearly have. Um, Asa Turner has a lot to prove as a safety, right? Mm-hmm. Mishael Powell has a lot to prove as a corner. Jordan Perryman's played a ton and was an all-conference guy at the FCS level, but he still does have something to prove at, at the Power 5 level. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of eyes were on that position to begin with, and they were already going to be relying on guys where it was like, okay, you know, is this guy, is this guy really it? Is he going to take the next step? And so then to to lose those guys and not even like get the chance to to prove it with like I was talking to Alex Cook yesterday um, who's been who's been um, you know a really good sport about kind of being the guy who who answers for all this stuff the last couple of weeks and you know he he said that yeah you do you build kind of a chemistry when it's the same five or six guys rotating through those spots like all kind of spring and camp like you know you get your you get your communication patterns down and you know, you know you just know how certain guys are going to react and you know how to talk to each other and it is a little bit different when you're just you're shuttling guys i think they played 11 different dbs on saturday and you know it's a little different when you're shuttling guys in and out and stuff and you know it's it can't be an excuse that's why you have coaches that's why you pay the coaches what you pay them um but it is i i i do think um they they feel strongly they can be a lot better if they're at full strength. But then, yeah, like kind of like you mentioned, like, well, who's at full strength? You know, it's it's football. Everybody's got injuries somewhere. So, I, I like, you start with the fact that they just did not come into this year with the personnel on the back end that you're used to, and now it's been diminished even further, and they're learning a new system. Um, you know, and you just, like, you, you're not relying on guys who have that, sort of history of success to fall back on with regard to their confidence, you know, who haven't done it. And so now like when all you've put on tape as a young guy who hasn't played a lot is these last couple weeks, I think there's a psychological component to that too, as you try to correct some things going forward. I'd like to throw out an alternative, uh, an alternative possibility for what happened on, on in, in Tempe, which is that, um, one of my college roommates and one of the guys, he's part of my season ticket holder group. Uh, he lives in Phoenix. And is, he's, is this night game guy? Uh, n- or no. no. This is 12-day window guy. He, this is 12-day window guy. Uh, yes, that's correct. He's got a huge issue with that. Uh, lives in Phoenix, and he's been to every single one of these UW games since 2001. <laughs> every single one of them he's been down there for. So Poor it's guy. possible. it's possible that... That that part of the problem is his continued attendance, and you, you might you might have seen him down there. He's wearing like a number eleven. I think it's a Marcus Tuiasa Sopo practice jersey. I'm I'm not positive. I, I know it's number eleven 
There's no there's no branding on it. It's just the number. There's no name on the last part. Um, it kind of looks like a smock. Is like it peeled? One of those... <laughs> or like are the numbers peeled? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's faded. I don't think we actually have the peeling. Um, it might have been better designed than or engineered than that, where it just starts flaking off. But yeah, and then he saw. He's at some point he ran into Elijah Qualls. It must have been after a game or something. And Qualls thought it was cool that that my friend Matt was wearing his number. And I think Matt had to tell him that it was actually a Tuiasa Sopo jersey. And Qualls was totally a good sport. He's like, oh, well, I want you to remember it for me, which was super, super sweet. So he's been at all those games. So maybe maybe he wears this or we got to get him to wear a different jersey or something. Elijah Qualls is like an all time interview. He's He's on the all time interview team. He's a good dude. Yeah, great, great. Like I, I loved covering him. Good guy. He was, he was always really honest, which probably limited his interview opportunities with us, because uh, he would, he would say something, nothing controversial or, or inappropriate or anything. Just things that, that the coaching staff would have preferred probably not be told to the media. Um, <laughs> loved his dog. He was a big dog guy. Had a husky named Storm, I think. Oh, that's awesome. That's um, fantastic. I, just, I was just talking about Elijah Qualls the other day. Our uh, The Athletics Eagles writer, Zach Berman, um, was in town. It was in uh, Arizona covering their game against the Cardinals, and he came came to the Husky game for a half, and I was talking with him. And he obviously knows Elijah and Sidney Jones a little bit, so that was kind of fun. But, yeah, you, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to take for Washington to, to win in Tempe again. I mean, 21 years... They won't go there until I don't have the rotation in front of me. I don't know if it's two years from now or not. Well, who knows if the Pac-12 will even exist, yeah. right? When it comes back, like we got to wait and see the see, see about the about the defectors. Uh, by the way, who continue to get the benefit of calls? Like <laughs> I thought about you. I thought about you as my Coog friends were like, ah, Wazoo in the Coliseum, of course, every time. Yeah, yeah, it's. The exact opposite of what should be happening. It appears that USC is continuing to get the benefits of the doubt. I, I, I want to make it clear to everybody: like USC going to the na- the football playoff doesn't help anybody in the Pac-12. Like you might get a little bit more runoff this year. It's going to look worse when they leave. Like, do, do not root for USC to get to the college football playoff this year. That that does not like any of the sort of rising tide lifts all, but like. They're traitors. They're leaving. Benedict Arnold should not get to win the the title over these next few seasons. Deliberate and underhanded steps should be taken to prevent this from happening. What I'm hearing from you is you you will be rooting for Oregon to make the the Pac-12 championship oh. game. <laughs> How funny would it be if it was USC and UCLA though? <laughs> like a, they <laughs> like they they go into their their season finale rivalry game against each other, both undefeated with, with their spots in the championship game already sewn up and then just play each other twice in a row. Do you know what, you know what should happen in that case is when they show up to play for the conference championship, like none of the officiating crew or any of the PAC 12 support staff shows up. <laughs> like just ghost them. Those would, like, those would be the shenanigans to which Merton Hanks referred <laughs> that will not be allowed. He didn't use the word shenanigans, by the way. I just I like that word. So there will be no shenanigans, no ballyhoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the the targeting. I I firmly one hundred percent believe this. You should just penalize and eject the player based on whether or not the guy he hits gets hurt. 
because that makes absolutely 100% as much sense as what they're currently doing. Like the, the targeting and the way it is administered is insane. Like it is one of the, the most willfully stupid things that does not get corrected by instant replay. And if it were to be corrected, there's no way. How do you eject Asa Turner from that game? Like, how does, is it because by the letter of the law, his forearm made contact with his helmet? Like, the guy was not sliding yet when Turner was breaking down. Like, Turner is positioning himself and preparing to, like, make the stop. And then the guy slides. And then there's a collision because, oh, I don't know, inertia, basic laws of physics create it happening. And his his arm happens to hit the dude's head. And then he... He gets not only penalized, but then they look at it and you're like, yep, that's right. He's out of here. So stupid. So stupid. Yeah, that's one where it has to be, it has to just be by the letter. Um, No player shall target and make forcible contact to the head or neck area of a defenseless opponent. How is he defenseless, though? Because he's in a slide? Yeah, because he went into a slide. And, like, I did think he pulled up. I I didn't, you know, Ace Turner didn't come in, you know, guns blazing just trying to, to hit him as hard as he could. I think he was anticipating the slide and he just, Dude, he caught him with, he caught him with the forearm. I do wonder like kind of to your point, like I, I do wonder, you know, if the quarterback uh, isn't injured on that play and doesn't, yeah. doesn't come off like this, but the thing, the flag came out, came out right away, didn't it? Yeah. And I can understand that. I can't understand. I cannot understand on replay review looking at it and saying, yes, he should be ejected for that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get that part. I, I understand why the flag's... Th- like, but when you break it down and slow it down and see what happened in the chain of events, that Asa Turner is, is breaking down. He's positioning himself for that tackle before the slide starts, before the dude's defenseless. And then the guy slides, and then there's a collision because you couldn't stop it at that point. Like there's no point once the slide starts that you were able to, that Asa Turner was able to to not hit him, and then you're like, well, you know, letter of the law, his arm hit his helmet, and well, he's lying over there and he's hurt, so like he's out. Just just eject him based on whether or not the guy's hurt. Like that makes as much sense as as what they're doing now. At least then you could say we'll get some like good s- soccer flop histrionics out of it. Um, that was a wild, like I want to say ten to fifteen minute sequence there of Washington getting the ball back for its last possession. Um, the Mariners scoring three runs on the JP Crawford bloop that had the, yeah. co- the outfield collision. And then Michael Panix jr. Taking uh, also a, a targeting hit. And that, that was, that was really scary. I mean, he was down for a long time and it looked like his neck, like his, it was like his throat. It was his throat. First. Yeah. And, yeah. A lot like of medical personnel out there and, you're kind of thinking like, man, this is he's he's gotten to that six game mark multiple times in his career without being able to play past it. Um, and so, you you know, I think you, you see a hit like that and you're like, oh, geez, you know, is this is this is he snake bitten again? You know, is this going to be something that keeps him out? And, you know, I think when he, when he got to his feet and jogged off, you know, unassisted, he jogged off. I think they took his helmet from him. And then he grabbed the ball and started throwing. I thought, okay, this doesn't look like it'll be something long-term. I don't know that I expected him to go back in after one play. Um, but, you know, I think it was it was one, it was one just something where 
he got hit in the throat area. It was it was scary because he he couldn't you know couldn't catch his breath. Was having a hard time breathing, but I think once the pain subsided and like he he was able to catch his breath and and breathing normally and stuff, I think it was just kind of like oh okay he's he's gonna be okay. Um, so like it as DeBoer put it, it kind of it turned the corner really quickly. Um, and then you know completed a completed a couple of passes right like Dylan Morris that did a good job coming in and and moving the chains you know cold off the bench that's not easy to do. Um, Panics gets him down to the 31. You know, you feel like, okay, they got a couple plays here and they're out of timeouts. It's going to be hard, but they got a shot. And then the, the bad snap, uh, basically ends it. There's, yeah, there's, there's so much, there's so much pressure on their offense right now. Was, was the snap, the snap was not supposed to go to the up back or the, to, to, to the running back. Was it? I sure don't think so. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they would have been doing well, that. I wondered if it was like super tricky. Like <laughs> after, yeah. after we saw the earlier attempt at a was it a fourth and one and they ran an end around with with Roma Dunze. What did you like, think my... of that call that that deep? <laughs> oh, I loved it. I thought that that was <laughs> it drove me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I like them going for it. Like I want to say that I like them going for it. That's a defense that's given up what like more than forty points in in three straight games. Run it, run it right at them. Like run it. God, no, I did not. I did not enjoy. I did not enjoy the let's run toward the sideline when you need one yard. Yeah, that especially like they they ran the ball well in this game. And, yes, and with a bunch of like Richard Newton comes in and gives my, him a spark. My dude, he looked good. But then you know, ding, you know the way he got up after that last hit. Yeah, it looked pretty clear. It was like, I mean, he was. I was. I was glad they took him out. Like it. It, it looked pretty clear he was he had some uncertainty about his exact whereabouts. And then Talapapa's dealing with an ankle injury, and you know, so they, they they've got these nicks and bruises in the running back room, but still, like no matter who they move in there, like Cam Davis had a really good game. Yeah, yes, three more touchdowns, and you know, Newton gives him a spark on that one drive, and Talapapa I think was carrying it well in the first half. So, yeah, I mean, I, it it sure seemed like a spot where don't overthink this, just you know, <laughs> line up heavy and and dare them to stop you on a on a yard on a goal line stand basically at the at the 31 yard line Um, i I do want i do want to say this though that i really like how how DeBoer is managing fourth downs like i love having a more aggressive coach there yeah i think Um, he's like he's done well adapting to modern times that way yeah what seems like he's pushing even harder because like that was the exact opposite of what football coach brain would do which is like we're too we're too far back this is too and i'm just like man it's one yard and you got a good offense let's go um i just if if i if i had a quibble (laughs) if i could interject just a little bit don't go east and west (laughs) on those plays also don't hand it to the up back god i hate that too i think it also there was and maybe this doesn't factor in at all, but it's just kind of a vibe thing watching the game. The play before that was that the completion to Talapapa where he slipped and fell. He yep. would, would have easily had the first down. So I wonder how much of it is like, no, like this this drive is not supposed to be over. That should have been a first down. You know, I'm not taking the offense off the field. Like, the, go get a yard. But as you said, the, and he said they hadn't been stopped on the end around to Odunze yet this year. For some reason, like I, I don't have it in my head that that's been a really successful play, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm conflating some others. I don't remember it blowing up like that. I, I there haven't been any huge home run hits off of it either. Um, that's the play's fine. It, 
in another situation. I just I don't I don't get trying to trick somebody on fourth and one like that. If you are going to do that, if you are going to do that, throw over the top, run play action. Like, I mean, that's 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 honestly like if if you're if you're going to say like, hey, we think they're going to be so fixated on the middle, then then run play action and throw it over the top. Like, don't 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 do the run in east west. Um, yeah, malarkey. It wasn't as hot there as I was anticipating. Oh, really? Yeah, like I mean, now I wasn't I wasn't sitting in the seat, so you know I'm so yeah. come, come from a position of privilege here, but um, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you know what I did? What? I, so I was staying literally like I don't know a ten to twelve minute walk from the stadium. Sawmill? You staying at Sawmill? I wasn't. No, I was staying at the AC the AC Hotel Tempe I'm downtown. With that yeah. Um, I could see the scoreboard from my room, and I'm like. I want to walk. I really don't want to call an Uber, but it's 85 degrees, and I don't really don't want to be like a sweating mess when I get there. So I called. Yeah. An Uber. I took an Uber. I did walk home. That's I took funny. an Uber and then regretted it because, like, by the time they get you to where they require you to drop off, it's like it's like barely even a ride. And I still got. I'm like, I should have just walked. But these are these are the decisions you have to make in the in the heat for a day game, Danny. Yeah, it's it's not sometimes you got to play hurt like sometimes sometimes you got to understand time score and situation that was what nate mcmillan used to always say time score situation like you understood you understood what time it was yeah you knew the situation you're like i i want to i want to preserve my professional presentation so yes i i don't i don't like the optics <laughs> of taking an uber <laughs> but i but i understand i understand the time score and situation here yeah we didn't you know i i made that decision no not everyone was going to love it not everyone would agree. Many would say I should have walked. I should have walked. Why did I take him to cheese? What was I doing? <laughs> would you? I don't. Reg- you I don't regret it, but I'd probably would do it differently in the future. Would you say something like this? Uh, we talked about it before the game. We talked about it th- that morning. I-, I looked at it in the morning when I looked over at the scoreboard and I said, "Hey, this this could happen." So that that was the plan going in. And end of the day, you have a plan. You you still got to execute it. I love I love I love looking at it in the seventh and saying, "Hey, this could happen." Well, yeah, you you could do anything you want with your roster. This yeah. could happen. That's yeah, if service. you make it happen. Scott <laughs> Service, You're like, hey, who do you like there? Let's let's bring in. What do you think about Robbie Ray? Like, ooh, it's disappointing <laughs> because it's it's opened up. You know, all these people who want to like just just scream fire the manager. It's giving them this ammunition or whatever. And I, I like the way there's Scott not, Services manage this team. Yeah, so there's it's, not it's a, frustrating that way. There's not a good answer. Like, there's not. It's the process that they use. Like, you it clearly turned out poorly. There's not. You want to use Munoz in a different situation and save him? Well, Munoz gave up a two run homer to Bregman. Mm-hmm. Like. Seawald was in there. You want Seawald to face Alvarez? Like, is do you think that's a better situation given what you've most recently seen from him? I know everybody's screaming about Swanson and oh, he was better. It's like, well, I'm I'm not sure. Like, that is an option, and he could have done that. But are you just saying that like, I, whatever he chooses, it better work? 
it, like that's that's a stupid way to critique people. Like there's not a, there's not a good alternative. There's not a good choice there. The best option was Alvarez never getting to the plate as the winning run in, yeah. in the ninth. Like that's the best, and it, and it happened, and they made what he made what he thought was his best decision. There are some clear downsides to it. Robbie Ray had not been a reliever. Like that's not a situation that he's used to coming in. He also has not pitched particularly well against Houston, but has anyone really? I know that I've seen some stats about how much better Swanson was. Sorry, not feeling more confident with Swanson in that situation. So he made a decision. It turned out epically bad. Yeah, and like the just going with the guy who got shelled three days ago. Um, yeah, <laughs> like that's not that's not. If you're looking at the numbers and the data and, you know, you're making a data-driven decision or whatever, and I don't know what data they were looking at, but um, you, you, I don't I don't know that you weigh super heavily. Well, like, this guy wasn't wasn't great the very last time out because, like, you know, it's baseball. It's Maybe that's not predictive, but, yeah, just do the, you think there, the feel do you think of it was some, off. Yeah. Do you think there's some of it, though, where it's like he's a veteran, he's been in some fairly big situations before, and we know his personality – like he's kind of he's a character that people in the in the clubhouse like or like we we think he's good for this moment. Like we think he'll get the he's a good old boy from Tennessee and he'll get all hopped up and come in here breathing fire. Like where that's part of the cuz I think that is part of the the rationale and I think it's totally valid criteria where you're like okay, you've got one guy in Swanson who hasn't pitched in the playoffs or you've got you got Robbie Ray and we'll get we'll get our we'll get our Cy Young award winner and like Hopefully he's going to come in here like a dragon and not throw in a one fastball that's right down the middle of the plate. And God, that was just grooved, just grooved. It's, I mean, it is. It's all. It's honestly like, it's it's funny how grooved that pitch was. Just crushed. <laughs> he could not have hit that any harder. Like, no. I'm convinced of that. Like it was like that was the maximum amount of of power he could put on that pitch. Yeah, just just this sec, like before his swings even completed, oh. you're just like, oh, that's way out of here. Crushed. Just destroyed. Oh, should we get to our Pac-12 picks? It was not, yes. a, not a great week for us. No? Last week. Um, did you uh, did you stay up to watch that uh, Oregon State-Stanford finish? I didn't watch the finish. I I was I was I I lulled into sleep by that point, but I checked the score the next morning. I shouldn't have stayed up that late. I had an early flight out, but I couldn't help myself. Amazing. They still didn't cover, so you know what good is that? What good is that for for me? Do you feel better about Stanford? I mean, Stanford looked respectable at least. Yeah, like it looked. They hung in there. Backup quarterback. They're playing. It against. is a backup quarterback, though. Um. Let's see. You. Uh, Missed on Utah, missed on Wazoo, hit Oregon and Stanford, missed on Washington. So we both went. We both went two and three last week. How about um, UCLA, man? Yeah, they're they're that's they're a legit real. That's legit, man. Not not just winning. They scored twenty eight points in the second half. That's the thing too. Like if Washington goes out and takes care of business against Arizona State, now suddenly that UCLA loss is like a quote unquote good loss. You know. Yeah. Not the way that they played, and especially defensively. But like, if you're if you're five and one coming home to face Arizona, and your only loss is to a still unbeaten UCLA team that just smacked Utah, like feeling pretty good about things, right? Yes, but let me say this: 
Washington's defense has been so bad the past two weeks that I'm not even in, in entertaining sort of alternate realities. Like I'm like, you're lucky to be four and two the way this defense plays. <laughs> like, like it's like this is the house of cards. Like there's no sort of like, oh, it look a little bit better. It's not like I feel that they've played better than four and two. <laughs> it's just God. No. Oh, I. They have a great offense. Like they have a really, and if they didn't have a great offense, if they just had a pretty good or a good offense, like they might be two and four. Yeah, that defense is awful. Uh, speaking of awful, Colorado hosts California this weekend. Um, Cal is a fourteen and a half point favorite. 14? I am smashing that. I am smashing 14? that. Fourteen. and a half. That's. That's a lot of points to favor Cal by, though, isn't it? They put 49 on Arizona. Can't That's they just true. turn around and do that against Colorado? <laughs> they should. They should. I guess this is you're betting you're betting against Colorado as more than you're betting on Cal here, right? Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm taking Cal too. I just cannot in good. I mean, Colorado couldn't cover against Arizona. Yeah. What are we? You know, what are we talking about here? What, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Cal. Uh, Notre Dame is a 17 point favorite over Stanford. Give me the Irish. 17. Give me the Irish. They're get, I'm going to take Notre Dame too. They're getting it together. Yeah. The resurgent Oregon State Beavers are four point home favorites against Washington State, coming off of its. Crushing loss at US, USC in multiple ways. They've got a couple guys out for a while with injuries. And Give me the Cougs. You like the Cougs on the road, huh? I do. Give me the Cougs. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a tough one. I'm going to take Oregon State. Um, playing at home. And I just, I think, uh, I think Wazoo's going gonna to be a little bit demoralized losing Renard Bell and, and Nakia Watson for a while. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Beavs. You, two weeks ago I'd have been surprised to to learn I was taking Oregon State to cover four in that game, but it is what it is. Uh the marquee what, matchup what do you think what do you think of how Washington State played USC? I didn't get to watch much of it. I, I mean it it sure sounds like their defense held up. Yeah. You know, they just, just didn't get a lot of help from their from their offense or from the officials from the sound of it. Um Yeah, yeah. It was I mean, it was a bad call. There was also a bad targeting call, I thought, on USC. Um, but I, I'm impressed with the Cougs, man. That, that's a sound. Yeah. It's, and I, I think it's because it's been a while since I've seen a Coug team that I thought was pretty balanced. And I think this Coug team is. Um, like, I, I, I like what they do on both sides of the ball. Yeah, like, I, I expected their offense to be a lot further along. Um, incarnate word transfer notwithstanding <laughs> See, but it's the incarnate word as the coordinator too it's still weird to me i'd take it so much more seriously if it was named differently <laughs> i'm dead serious i also i came across like it was it's the second time i've ever heard incarnate word referenced was danny heap who was a member of the 86 mets team he was like a utility player he's a longtime major leaguer he's he was coaching in the baseball team at incarnate word and i, I read that like last week and I was like, I'll be damned. There's that school again. That's the second time I've heard of it. Yeah, they're on the, I had never, on the come up. I, I, up until up until Cam Ward, I, I had never heard of that institution. Like, never. 
I would have told you it was a it was a private school in Orange County if you had asked me about it. That's what I would have said it was. See, I I think of Eric Morris more of a Mike Leach guy than an Incarnate Word guy because he was he played for Leach and and was uh, their inside receivers coach when I covered Wazoo in Leach's first year. Oh, really? And he was like twenty six. I want to say we were like roughly the same age. He was still a couple of years older than me, and in fact, still is um, because that's how age works. And uh, I just remember thinking, like, wow, like that's a that's like a big time job this guy's got at that age. And now here, you know, he's been a head coach and he's back at Wazoo. Funny how things he, work out. He seems to enjoy running the ball a little bit more than than Mike Leach did. Yeah, there's. I, I talked to him before the season um, for a story on Jake Dickert, and you know, their their version of the air raid has a tight end, and yeah, he talked about like Dickert said something like, you know. Let's let's be honest. The only person still running the the, the Mike Leach air raid is Mike Leach, because everybody else so, is, has kind of like evolved it. Because everybody else has said like you have to be able to run the ball occasionally to win games. Yeah, and like I asked Eric Morris, like, oh, so what do you mean by you know stuff you've learned or whatever? And he said, well, that teams that win championships run the ball a lot better than than we had at some stops. So the, you have to do it to win games, yeah. right? Like that's, that's the only, did I tell you I ran across the soccer equivalent of Mike Leach? You did. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Like it's such a weird thing. Like I'm convinced Leach is doing this as like, whether it's because of his commitment to the purity of the ideal or if it's, he's winning a bet with someone, someone's like, I'll bet you, you can't go 30 years without ever using a tight end. And Mike Leach is like, this is one bet I'm going to win. Um, <laughs> It's such a weird it it puts the way you play above the result, which is a very strange way for a coach to to operate. And but it's clearly what Leach does. Tight end just a receiver with too many muscles. <laughs> yeah, like it's like no, we're not going to do that. It's like well, but Mike, if you can if you can gain two first downs running the ball late in the game, like you can take. You you can literally just take five minutes off the clock. Like you can shorten the game. Like you can make. You're going to be better able to win this game if you can just do that simple. Like I'm not even saying a good running game. Just if you're up ten, this is what you're going to do. No, I don't see why you have to do that. It's like because the clocks keep keeps running because because of the mechanics of how the game. No, you just complete passes. <laughs> well, you know, don't throw incompletions. Yeah, simple Geronimo enough. would have never done that. That no. ain't the pirate way. <laughs> uh, Utah's a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the visiting USC Trojans. Yeah, give me USC. Yeah, hard to... How's Utah favored? Well, they're at home. Really? They're at home. You know, I mean, you look at SC's last, last few games. They barely beat Oregon State. Goes down to the wire. Yeah. Um. They let ASU hang around, and then you know I think they controlled the Wazoo game throughout. But I thought Wazoo stuck with them, and I yeah I mean I going home. I mean three and a half point favorite basically means it's a you know if if you, yeah, if you buy into even. the hole you get three points from playing at home then then it's a pretty even matchup. That's the part that's crazy to me though. That's saying it's a two loss Utah team that just gave up forty two to UCLA. And you think it's a head and and the and clearly this isn't odds makers telling you it's where the money's coming in. I was shocked at that line. Pound you pound USC on that. I'm going to take Utah. 
Really? Because it, you're insane. Because it just it's it, for that exactly that reason. It just it feels like oh well, you know, we clearly if they gave up this, I just I think I think Kyle Whittingham is. Uh, I think he's going to make some adjustments. I think he's going to have them ready to go. They're coming back home. Their back's against the wall now. You know, they already lost. They've got one loss in conference to a team that's still undefeated. Um, this would effectively eliminate them from contention or make it yes. really, really hard. I yeah, I just I'm I'm expecting a bounce back performance from the Utes, and I'm kind of going with the I'm going with the principle that at a certain level in this conference, especially what you think is going to happen. Sometimes it's exactly the opposite. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take Utah on a bounce back game here to cover three and a half. Um, my own personal theory about Kyle Whittingham is that the way he looks counts for two points on the spread. Like home field counts for three, <laughs> like the actual appearance, because people look at him and they're like, Oh, he could kick everybody's ass. Like yeah. they, they, they get an extra two points because of how their coach looks. Um, the most inconvenient two thirty kickoff of all time. <laughs> You're not pumped about this. Washington hosts Arizona. As 14 and a half point favorites, uh, cannot in good conscience pick Washington to cover 14 and a half points. Really? Listen, Arizona's defense is terrible. It's it's coached by a blithering idiot. Arizona State's defense was terrible. <laughs> and and look, the and Washington moved the ball and scored points on them. Yeah. And I look, it's the same it's basically the same line. They were 14 point favorites last week. But they were on the road in a place they hadn't won in twenty years. Yeah, they're in the they're in the most beautiful setting in college football, Christian. <laughs> yes, where where Arizona's quarterback just last season picked them apart <laughs> and then planted a flag. <laughs> and then he said, I think he said in an interview that he regretted it, which was kind of disappointing. I was like, no, oh really? You don't need to regret it. No, you score that many points on you, Dub, like legitimately like given the way husky fans like the the view with which the 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 patronizing condescension with which we heap upon washington state like you score that many points in seattle like you can go plant a flag so i think arizona's offense i think arizona clearly has a better offense than arizona state at least if you know their their quarterbacks healthy and receivers are healthy and stuff um and i just did 14 and a half against washington's defense right now i mean that's how many points are we are we thinking that Washington would have to score for you to feel comfortable that they're they're covering that? Oh, if they put forty up, they'll cover. So you th- you think they hold Arizona like under twenty eight or so? Yeah. Yes. I do. I don't think Arizona's getting thirty. All right. I mean, like, I won't be surprised. Yeah. Is there put it this way, like is there anything Washington could do in this game to make you feel better about their team or their defense? Yeah, if they went out and like Arizona scores 13 points, like and they get a bunch of sacks and just pound them into oblivion and, and generate some turnovers, yeah, I'd feel better. But like legitimately, like n- not really. Like we'll still see they've still it's it's more about guys getting healthy than it is about the performance in a game against Arizona, right? Um, I'd like, I, I think there's room for improvement. Certainly. I I think the defense, it's not ridiculous to think the defense is going to get better over this back half of the schedule. Like they're not going to ever be good. Like it's, it's a marginal bull team. 
Like that's that's really and that's kind of that would be a pretty realistic projection at the beginning of the season. They looked better early. So and that, I think that that was that was a little misleading because we didn't see the warts on this defense or we excused them because Washington had gotten out to such huge leads that it didn't matter. And like later, on, like when they started, because they'd given up yards late in, in their victories. And we were like, well, yeah, they're playing the clock, or at least I was and trying to say, like, I don't know. And now you're like, no, they just they just can't stop anybody. I did get a question and it kind of plays into what you were saying um, from Victor Lee who said given how poorly the UW defense has played of late does that make the 4 and 2 record seem worse even though that record seemed reasonable before the season began Christian's season preview article had UW at 4 and 2 at the midway point and like I I think that's exactly it like if you told anybody hey they're going to be 4 and 2 halfway through I think most people would have said oh all right yeah Stanford like Mich- Michigan State Stanford UCLA ASU they're going to win two of those yeah, yeah okay but like, yeah, the way that they started, definitely like, okay, but they're going to start four and zero and look really great, and then not at all for two weeks, at least defensively. Um, and now, and now it looks like Michigan State is much worse than we initially thought, yes. and UCLA is significantly better, right? Like that's like those are those are two teams that, and you didn't know that about them when the season began. Four and two, there's there's nothing there's nothing happening with the program that makes you doubt the decision they made with DeBoer. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that's, and that's the most important part. Like all of this, even the fact that the defense is sort of a tire fire at this point, it, it doesn't, that's, that's something that is all things considered is okay. Like the most important thing that's happening is that you got a guy who had a track record of success at on offense and Washington's offense has been awesome. They just need to get the defense sorted out. We'll revisit this if Washington doesn't cover the 14 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the game, everybody. Uh, enjoy the Mariners on Thursday, or try to. And, uh, and Saturday, and hopefully Sunday. <laughs> and, and hopefully Monday. You'd take a game five right now. Hell yeah! Right? Compared to anything else. Rather, Hell yeah! Rather than let it play out, you'd take him going to Houston for game five right now. Yes! Yeah. All right. Enjoy the games, everybody.